When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Susan Kalman, and welcome back to Susan Kalman's Mrs. Brightside. It's Series 2. Thanks for downloading the show. My parents came to my Soho show. They came to see my show last year, entirely about my dad and our relationship and my mental health and expressing that and my sexuality to them. And they had a really nice time and think Soho Theatre is lovely. (laughs) (laughs) Last year, I spoke to eight people about their tricksy mental health and this year I'll be chatting to eight more. He would be like, great night, great hat night had by all, but we didn't talk about the show. We just said, what a wonderful place. <laughs> and we all moved on. <laughs> I'm doing this because I want people to be more open about their mental health. And I know sometimes it can be difficult to define what that means. So we're going to be having a frank and open discussion. No parameters, no written questions, no definitions and no pop psychology. And I've got a list of people. Mm-hmm. Do you have a list of people? A list of enemies, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, sure I do. (laughs) It's important for you to know that these are not therapy sessions. I am not a qualified psychiatrist, no matter how much casualty I've watched. They're just honest conversations about what we think and feel about our own heads. This week I spoke to Catherine Bohart, a comedian who articulately explained her own mental health issues and who called me a psychopath. My point is always this, you want me as your neighbour. You shouldn't be frightened of having two lesbians living next door to you. We are brilliant. Agreed. We take care of our house, we'll take your bins down for you. In fact, there's a fight for it. You want us. Yeah. I keep a notebook with... uh, Everyone's number plates that come into the street in case there's a robbery. Oh my God, you are a psychopath. (laughs) (laughs) It was a great chat. Recently been recording a travel show for Channel 5 called Secret Scotland Series 2. Series 1 was very successful. I'll pretend to be surprised, but I follow you on Twitter. And I said to them, I don't care what we do. Just make sure there's a toilet, because I'm obsessed. If you've listened to series one of Mrs Brightside, you'll know that I have a severe issue regarding the accessibility of toilets. I need to know there is one nearby. And um, they said, yes, yes, of course, of course, of course. Now, of course, they lied, because it's television. Yeah. Don't believe a word they say. So I had to see kayak out to a lighthouse. And I said at that point, this was three hours after we'd started, I'd been to the toilet, three hours later, I said, where's the toilet? And the lighthouse man said, there's no toilet. And I'd always said if I had to pee outside, I mean, that that's my line. Yeah. I, and I was peeing on an island beside a lighthouse and I thought, this this is truly horrific. I have a question. Yes. How long are the lighthouse man's shift? Well, it's an unmanned lighthouse. They change oh, the light okay. bulb. I was like, what the hell? Yeah, they change okay. the light bulb once a year and I was being allowed to change the light bulb, which is a big honour. But they didn't have a toilet. Is it a big honour if you oh, also yes. have to wee outside? <laughs> it is not slightly tarnished. <laughs> and then I and then it was five hours later of filming. I said, and I really need the toilet. And uh, the director said, well, you could just go behind the bush. Now, I was on a beach wow. in, in a place called Arran in Scotland. And everyone had their phones out already because I'm that nice lady from the telly. Mm-hmm. And I was like, someone's going to film me. Yep. 
And that is going to be, yep. you know, that's not... Anyway. Um, 100%. Uh, welcome to Mrs. Brightside. Hello. <laughs> thanks for having me. <laughs> um, a lot of listeners uh, to this podcast have toilet-related anxiety. So that's, that's We've just hit it. I think right my there. my equivalent. I don't have a, as much of a toilet based um, anxiety because I have OCD and I am well trained at not going to the toilet for very many hours, so as to avoid going to public toilets, which I can now do. Big move for me, but it was spent a lot of my time not being able okay. to. Okay, hold on a second. Sorry, yes. Shall we start? I always ask people because you've now listened. We're oh, five I'm sorry, minutes we in. Some stuff. Five minutes in, and nobody knows who you are. Yeah. So <laughs> what I always like to do because my career is going really well. <laughs> you don't. You don't. You don't need anyone to know who you are. Um, I, I always like to get the person I'm talking to to introduce themselves and say what they do. Yes. So it's not one of those, I've decided what you do. So please Thank say your you. name and what you think you do. Okay. <laughs> Hello, I'm Catherine Bohart. I think I mainly sit around in my pyjamas, but other than that, sometimes I do I do comedy. I'm a comedian. You are. You're a very good comedian. Thank you for saying that. No, I have been a great admirer of yours uh, for some time. Thank you. And it is very exciting for me to be... Well, I'm a Near big you. fan of yours, so that makes me feel uncomfortable and a bit like you took my line. Um, I'm not going to lie to you, Susan. I've been in WhatsApp groups about whether or not your wife's face was adorable or very, very adorable during Strictly. That is concerning. Was the Facebook group just my sister and I? Yes, it was. <laughs> but boy, were we fans and did we like to watch her watch you dance. <laughs> she was. Uh, she put up with a lot, I'll tell you that. I she think she was endearing as all hell. You're also very good. Well done on the dancing yes. but my god do we like to watch her face it's always very disappointing whenever I turn up somewhere Sorry. without her people go oh is Lee not here and you go no no I am yeah. that, oh no you didn't want me well it's just better if there's both you know I mean I have the exact same thing with my <laughs> my girlfriend's also a comic and uh, yeah people do that thing where they go oh my god Sarah's so good at comedy and I yes Yes, thank you. Yes, <laughs> indeed, I have also met her. Um, so this, we've, we've touched on it already. Sorry, yes. No, do, never apologise. I mean, I cannot promise that. I have a huge thing. I always say, especially to women, working on that show, there were a couple of uh, female runners mm-hmm. and they would apologise before they spoke to me. And I said, have you done something wrong? Yeah. Why are you apologising? Oh, I should say, I have committed many crimes. <laughs> <laughs> this is just a place I finally feel comfortable apologising. I've never said sorry before. I just want wanted to let you know I am sorry. You do know this is admissible in court, just oh to God. let you know. Okay, crimes. Yeah. I mean, it might be hyperbolic. <laughs> um, this is a, a kind of uh, about uh, mental health and all that stuff. I suffer from depression and anxiety because I'm a lucky lady. What's your particular mental health uh, problem? Congratulations on your combo. Well Thank done for you. saying it out loud. Very it's much. really awkward. Uh, I know that. I have obsessive compulsive disorder mm-hmm. and... When I was diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder, it was because I'd gotten to a point of clinical depression. Uh, because if you have an undiagnosed illness, uh, you will often find yourself depressed on account of the confusion and the obsessions. Um, uh, more to the point, I also, I mean, not to like tag on, but if uh, I guess um, some of my obsessive compulsive disorder also tends towards BDD, so body dysmorphic disorder, but predominantly I have obsessive compulsive disorder. But fortunately for me, it's pretty much under control. People talk about OCD as if it's one thing. Yes. But it's not, is it? There are lots of different types of OCD. As far as I understand it, there are seven clinical 
types, but there are probably more. How does your OCD manifest itself? Um, so I have a type of OCD, which is called, and I'm aware how ridiculous it sounds, perfectionism. Yes, I'm just a really great gal. Uh, I just have standards, guys. No, but the thing is, the problem is, I have what I suppose people think they know of OCD, which is an obsession with tidiness, order, symmetry, perfection. Uh, but it's not like I just love things being tidy. It's more that I um, can't think about, for example, I'm fine and we should leave it there. But there is a highlighter on the floor, inexplicably, in this room. I mean, aside from that, the chairs are all over the place and I don't know who designed the room, but they clearly hate me. Um, <laughs> but I, So I would be incapable of thinking about anything other than the order of a space that I was in, specifically and especially spaces that I owned or felt like I could have control over. Uh, but basically, anything being in disarray was not just like, oh, I wish this was tidy, but exceptionally upsetting for me to the mm -hmm. point of extreme anxiety. And that meant that in order to engage with those obsessive thoughts and ruminations, I would then engage in behaviours like tidying and cleaning for hours and hours and hours to the detriment of my, you know, life. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I mean, tell, stop me if you have any questions or if this is incredibly dull, nope. which is effectively me apologising without saying sorry. And uh, <laughs> then I, uh, so I was, I got to a really bad place with it and was quite bad at being able to go outside. Like I said, I couldn't do things like go to the, pub, go to public toilets, um, except for when I went to Florida and they have little um, like tissue things you put on the seat. On the seats, yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. How exciting were they? I mean, I think I was the only kid at Disneyland who was like, has everyone seen the toilet seat covers? <laughs> People were like, you're 16, you're supposed so to be having me, a good let time. Me, let me talk to you about that because I mean, I, I don't have diagnosed OCD mm -hmm. in the slightest. I have, I think in mental health, there's, there's like the shades of things if of we're course. lucky. So I, I have a real toilet issue not just the access, the availability mm -hmm. of the cleanliness they're disgusting sure yeah and I we want to I insist on having I've never told anyone this before but I feel we can share I insist on having blue in the toilet you know the, yes. the thing like I have to have it in the toilet of course and well it, you, otherwise it, you're just sitting on a germ vacuum I understand and it's the colour as well I need to have I need to look clean mm -hmm. it ran out and my wife got the lemon and didn't understand why I was so upset. And it's because, and I clean the bathroom a, a lot, and mm -hmm. public toilets are quite difficult. Mm -hmm. Now, when I go in, I just feel quite sick. And it just it just makes me so anxious. Yeah. In terms of people listening to this, what's always useful is trying to describe how, how it makes you feel mm -hmm. in, in that, why are they so kind of terrifying and awkward and horrible, the public toilets? So I should say, now I can use them. Mm-hmm. And I'm fine. It is sometimes hard. There are some where the standards are too low or I can't. I have a very kind partner who will do things like go to the toilet before me in the airplane so that I know I'm following her. And that's a good friend and a good person. Um, but uh, I think it's, it, it's about control, right? It's about things being... I have no idea who is there. I have no idea what it's going to look like. I don't want to see dirt. I don't want to have anybody else's dirt on me. That's a big, like, thing. But with OCD, usually there's a, a fear, right? An irrational fear, for example, that if I go to a public toilet and I touch the toilet, then I will have 
hundreds of people's filth on me and that I won't be able to wash it off. That, that's just, that's something, that was my irrational fear. Now that is illogical, right? They clean public toilets quite often. Um, also, I shower. Sure I do. Also, given I was building like a prison toilet seat with tissue paper and waste, killing trees for my own benefit pretty much every time I ever had to go to a toilet, I was probably covered. But um, it was completely disproportionate and feeling like I had to shower multiple times to get rid of it. Um, So, yeah, it was very anxiety provoking, very uncomfortable and very, it felt quite shameful because I had to take all of those steps and shameful because I felt conscious that I had other people's dirt on me so it wasn't rational Mm -hmm. um, and it was very tough One of the problems though about depression and anxiety is it is irrational sometimes. Of course. And my partner's a very rational person and struggles sometimes to understand the irrational nature of my thought process. Mm -hmm. Um, Apparently according to her, I catastrophize everything. <laughs> I think that's an adorable trait in a human being. <laughs> and that's for sure. And she's right. She's right. I go to, if someone says, what's the worst case scenario, I'll go there. And when so, when someone says, what's the worst that can happen, that doesn't help me because it probably will happen. Exactly. Yeah. So don't tell me that because I know it'll happen. Yes. And it's quite difficult sometimes if people have never thought of these catastrophic end results. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter how much I tell you, don't, I mean, don't be silly. Of course that's not going to happen. The irrational part of your mind takes over the rational part. Yes, and I think I imagine you probably struggle as well because you're quite intelligent. And so the notion of someone saying to you, don't be silly, that's never going to happen. You could say, well, actually, plausibly, it could. So you patronising me is both mm. making this worse and more stressful. And unfortunately, the history of my life is the worst often does happen. This is the problem. Of course, you're Scottish, <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. It's true. It's true. The worst does often happen. That's the problem. So, but you're not... But the thing is, I think that often how you think it's going to impact you is disproportionately. Yes. So the worst can happen and you can survive. Mm -hmm. And that's often part of it. So a big part of treatment for OCD that I did in cognitive behavioural therapy, CBD, is about doing the thing that you think is going to kill you, like going to a public toilet, not showering immediately after and finding the world does not end. Maybe the OCD part of your brain's a liar. I hate people telling me what to do, which is the problem. <laughs> I, uh, I, I've done CB, cognitive behavioural therapy. That was the thing that worked best for me with my anxiety, mm-hmm. without question. Because I, we're talkers and it's nothing to do. It doesn't want to hear you chat. No. It's just like, just do the thing. Yes. And the problem was, I, I recently went back to therapy again because I needed to. I needed to go back again because I just felt myself slipping back into yep. old behaviours. And that is one of the things... Um, I wrote uh, my book Cheer Up Love and then Sunny Side Up which was about being more cheerful and people go oh well you're fine now and you go no I've always got it Interesting. and recognising the fact that I was slipping back into those thought processes mm-hmm. I thought I have to go back again to to get some help with this because I, I, I felt myself slipping back in I think that's great though I think that's great that you can say this is a consistent thing and that I will need help with it. I try to be pretty consistent with therapy, even when I feel like I don't need it. Because I think, certainly in my case with OCD, I can go, <laughs> it's actually, I'm actually doing really great, guys. I'm doing really great. And then and anything with change or stress, um, which is effectively the life I have signed up for, um, 
you know, because it's so hard being a clown. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> uh, it, it means I, I think I like to keep on top of it. But I do think that, I think particularly with depression, people want so earnestly for you to just be having a nice time, just to be like happy that they are kind of like, oh, you're fixed. Great. Okay. On to the next. And that doesn't tend to be, in my experience, how depression works. But I would say the inverse is true of OCD. Um, in my case, at least, perhaps because I talk about it on stage and people want to ask questions, people are very unwilling to believe that I'm okay. <laughs> very unwilling. Like, as though, because it makes me more interesting if I'm not, right? So yeah, yeah. it's more interesting to go, what do you do mm-hmm. when you're crazy than it is to go, how does that affect you? Uh, people, or like, it's more interesting for people to go, Oh, Catherine's coming over. Better tidy up. And let's be clear, I do wish they would. But like (laughs) to put that on me and be like, she's. And so I do think with OCD, people are unwilling to believe that you can get it to a place where it's under control. And that's not to say that it can't recur in times of stress or if you don't do the things that you should do. But you can certainly. I mean, I am very fortunate. I had a diagnosis. I went I was in hospital. I had incredible doctors. I had an incredible therapist as soon as I came here. I have a partner who understands it. Medications helped me massively. So actually, I am able to cope. I mean, I'm here. You just saw me go to the loo. I mean, you didn't watch me go to the no, loo. I didn't. But like, I'd like to make it clear that no. I don't, <laughs> but I don't I, follow people <laughs> to the toilet. Um, one of the things that uh, I always find interesting when I talk to comedians is there, there's this um, kind of conceit of the um, uh, the, crow, the the clown crying in the corner and we're all sad mm-hmm. it, there is a lot of us with kind of anxiety issues it is the worst job in the world in a way for people with these issues but also the best job in the world I so I actually started talking about my mental health more when I became a comedian than before before I did so yes it's awful I have control issues mm-hmm. I'm going places I don't know with people I don't know in situations I don't know, to towns I don't know, on trains I can't rely on. It is anxiety-inducing, so it's the worst job, but it's the best job. How do you find it? But also, I mean, I completely agree. Also, therapeutically, you're doing CBD in those cases, right? Yes, yeah, so I suppose you're, chal- yeah, yeah, yeah. you're challenging mm-hmm. the thought with the action. Um, okay. It's I- surprising how little money it takes for me to do that. <laughs> 20, 20 quid in Sheffield? Yes, yes, please. No problem. Ah, uh, Sheffield. Oh, boy. Yes, we've all been stuck there. Most recently, I got a taxi home from Leeds. Did you? <sighs> yes, I didn't. Thankfully, I mean, the rail network paid for it and I, I was with eight strangers and they were all British and all livid. So nobody said a single thing for five hours. Yes, silence. Oh, boy, it was stressful. The silent fury of a taxi. I was like, would people. anyone like a suite? And everyone was like, shush, we do not talk. Everyone open a window and call your wives. Like, like just men like whispering into the wind lest they be heard complaining. Oh, terrifying. Uh, yeah, you guys are, I mean, British people are weird when they're mad. But anyway, what was I saying? I don't really count Scottish people in that because I feel like you guys would have been more jovial in that situation. I, I think I think having been in that kind of situation, I'm used to it. So I've got a suitcase that specifically it's behind you can be used as a seat. Nice. I always have a snack with me. Yes, I'm big on I've snacks. I've got a lot of podcasts. Yeah. I just hunker down and wait for it to be over. Agreed, agreed. You know? Yeah. In answer to your question, uh, I think stand-up comedy is the best job I could have possibly ended up in based on my mental illness uh, because people in a way expect it of you. So it's not 
uncomfortable in the way that it is often to bring it up in corporate environments, which isn't to say that corporate environments aren't getting better, but people are like, yeah, sure, of course, you're a comedian. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to justify. Secondly, um, I can I make my own day a lot of the time. So if I'm having a bad morning, that's fine. I don't have to decide whether or not I can make it to work till 4 p.m. And most of the time I probably can because work, I, well, also because I love this job and I've never loved another job before, so I want to go to work. Um, but I can make my day, I can plan my day a bit more. I'm in control of my diary a bit more, so I, I can also go, that's going to be too much for me. Like that's, there's no way I'm going to be able to cope with that. Um, and also I have a team around me. I'm really lucky. I don't know if this is true of all comics, but I have a team around me who believe me when I say I'm having a bad day, but also believe me when I say I'm having a good day. I'm fine. Um, so that's really fortunate. But yeah, I do think you're right about the talking about it. I think last year's show I talked about, for Edinburgh, I talked about having OCD and got to do so on my own terms without interruption or question and I also got to talk about being in hospital and I got to talk about my family's reaction to it but I felt like I put loads of things to bed that maybe I wouldn't have ever put to bed if I didn't do this job because I wouldn't have why would I open that can of worms again but actually it was really good for me to do that eight years out of a diagnosis where usually I would, maybe I would have just been like well, let's never think of that again until the problem rears its ugly head <laughs> so I do agree I think it's a good job for it. I think it uh, I find the process of having to think about how to make something funny means you have to look at it more closely agreed so how do I make this funny I've got to really think about what I'm saying to see if I can make it funny and in that way you you examine what it is I've talked about things in stand up that I haven't talked about I haven't talked about mm-hmm. but I feel comfortable in a room of 200 strangers saying it mm-hmm. but I feel very uncomfortable face to face with a family member or a friend talking about it it's amazing isn't it I um, I went to a preview of this is going to reflect poorly on my relationship I went to a preview of my girlfriend's show 2 weeks ago And she said something that I knew about her, but she had never verbalised. She'd never articulated in the way that she expressed on stage. So I'm, I was, I just, I was really proud of her for being able to articulate it and really stunned that she could articulate it in that context in a hot room in Camden to 12 people who did not know it was going to be an Edinburgh preview. And... So I, I, I found, it, and I love that about stand-up. I, I mean, I was crying beside a man called Fraser who works at her PR, who was like, "Are you? Do you know her?" <laughs> so it was awkward, for sure, but it was good, and I'm glad that it happened. And I think, more to the point, I think if you are of our kind of mental illness, where everything is about control, or maybe I don't want to speak for you, where my kind, where everything is about control, and the idea of being imperfect or flawed is shame-based. To have a job where you where it necessitates that you volunteer for failure has taught me so much about my capacity to be flawed and vulnerable and uh, wrong. Because you have because if you don't want to fail, then you're in the wrong job, right? If, oh, absolutely. I'm consistent. My, always failing. If you're not failing, failing, then you should probably write some new material. Yes, and I mean, uh, fifteen years, fifteen years after I started, something like that, I just had another thing turned down. Of course. And you go, <sighs> yep. And it's constant. the The amount of success we actually have is is fairly limited in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. It's mostly 
Feel your beasts. But also... Uh, Why am I doing this? I know, right? But my favourite thing about it is also that you can do the same material. You can go to Sheffield and smash. Mm-hmm. And then you can go to Canterbury the next night. And they can hate yes. you. Not just your material. They hate you. you. Yes. Very specific about mm-hmm. that. Um, and that's kind of amazing because you go, oh... It's almost like I can't be for everyone and like I can't be perfect all of the time. On top of which, I quite like the fact that where my brain would usually have gone to quite a depressive place, and it's not that it doesn't, but when bad things happen now, more often than not, unless they're catastrophic, I can go, but is it funny? <laughs> and could I use it? Which mm-hmm. it probably sounds a little bit um, sociopathic, but like, I think part of, I like that part of my brain goes, yeah, but in a week, will you think you can say this on stage? Because it makes it less, you go, well, okay, then maybe it's not all in vain. One of the things I've done uh, as I'm in my mid-40s now is I've embraced the sociopathic side of me. Oh. Because I, I do think it's there. Oh, I think in a way many stand-ups have it, in mm. that we are we are extreme empaths, Yeah, but we are also sociopaths. <laughs> because in a way, the hatred... The audiences express or the failure makes me just go, oh, yeah. Yeah. same, <laughs> but like in a really cold, brutal way, not in a angry way. I just sit there sometimes getting emails, just clicking on them, going, "Okay, sure, <laughs> sure." And I've got a list of people. Mm-hmm. Do you have a list of people? A list of enemies? You mean? Yeah. Yeah, sure I do. <laughs> I mean, I, my new show is called Lemon after a woman who hated my show last year. She was wearing a lemon cardigan. It's not normal, Susan. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, that's not that's well, not appropriate bo- behaviour. Both of us think the same way. Therefore, there's more than one. So it is normal yes, in this let's room. Say that. It's very normal. <laughs> um, one of the other things, as well as being blessed hashtag blessed. Oh goodness. With um, OCD. Yes. Um, you are of a different type of sexuality than the hetero. Sure, yeah. Um, I don't know how to say these things anymore. So No, don't, that's fine. I'm bisexual. Okay, great. Um, but I wouldn't be offended by um, anything Isn't else. Isn't it awful that an old laser like me is frightened to talk about sexuality? It's weird, yeah. I don't, I don't, I am so... No, I know. I never want to upset anybody. I guess for about me, anything. it doesn't offend me if you call me pansexual, and it doesn't offend me if you call me a lesbian. I am both of those things and okay. all of those things. Okay. Um, people get very affronted when I show up sometimes and I say because I'm gay, and then people go bye. They'll correct me, and I'll go yeah, you know I am, but like within that, I'm I'm also gay, right? Because because I'm gay sometimes and I'm straight sometimes that's bisexual right Like, which isn't to say that I'm one doesn't erase the other sure but people get yeah people I know. I people get very upset in my day Catherine because I'm at least probably double your age I mean I'm 30 there years were, old so it's very sweet of you to say right. that but thank you <laughs> there, were, uh, there was like there was lesbians and gays sure right and that's basically what we had yeah and I think it's Fantastic. And when I interviewed Bethany Black on last year's Mrs. Brightside, it was a superb conversation. Yeah. Because the discussion of sexuality often happens without the people whose sexuality that's being discussed is there. Yes. It's usually, I hate to say it, a group of white straight men sitting Mm -hmm. talking about someone else's life. Mm -hmm. And it's how I always felt when equal marriage was being discussed. It was a bunch of old white men talking about whether or not I had the right to do something. Are they people? 
You'd, like we're people. Yeah. Are they people like we're people because we're the measure of people? Yes. Yeah. Now, my sexuality informs everything I do just now, just now specifically for one reason, mm-hmm. and that is that people still have a problem with me. Of course they do. I often get these tweets and emails saying, why are you always talking about your wife? Why are you going about being gay? And it's because people still have a problem. Yeah. If everything was fine and I was treated like just a human being... It's because nobody's tweeting Michael McIntyre to go, we get it, you have a wife. We get it. You've, you have children. You're allowed to have children. Like, that's why it's a problem. Of course. Mm-hmm. Of course. And the... Uh, it's it's such a strange thing because I was I was so political when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I'm not political now, but it felt angry because I grew up in Section Twenty Eight, Clause Twenty, and we were angry about it. Mm-hmm. And then everyone told us it was all fine. Mm-hmm. And these days, it just seems to be more important. It, and that's why I say I am often I am more gay than than people would think. The perception of me is I'm that nice lady from the television, mm-hmm. and I am. Yep. But I'm also I'm also I'm gay, and it's so important to me. How does it inform what you do? Yes, I agree. I am. Um, here's the thing we have in common. I'm very quick to cry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's so important. Of course, it is. It is. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm trying to talk about this in my show in a way that is articulate and uh, coherent but um, I pass a lot of the time for Mm -hmm. want of a better word I um, look like a girl and I have long hair and I look like I have a nice boyfriend uh, by absurd standards of heteronormativity. Which is still in 2019 in force. Of course. It's still in force the idea of what a lesbian or a gay woman or whatever would look like. Of course. My girlfriend does not pass. Um, my girlfriend has short hair. Now, my girlfriend's also lighter, smaller than I am, uh, but she gets more aggression and more violence on the streets than I do, which isn't to say that we are I'm exempt. Oh, if we're together, you better believe someone has something to say about it, mm-hmm. which is also why it's still an issue. But um, I think that I feel they're in some sort of duty to be like, yes, I pass. Yes, I'm a palatable version of lesbianism to you because I fit with some sort of ubiquitous notion of lesbians from porn that you have idealized us as but I'm real queer mm-hmm. and I'm I I am trying to I yeah I think it's more as important if not more so important to go it still matters and absolutely we have been given rights that everybody else had um whoop de do and and I'm not I don't know I don't mean to diminish that because they were hard fought and hard won but um, that doesn't mean that it's done or that people are okay with it and that we don't have, um, yeah, we don't have to still keep fighting for our space in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, I mean, I don't need to say, I don't need to hammer it too much, but like, you know, two weeks ago, two women were beaten up on a bus because they weren't um, performing homosexuality for the uh, boys on uh, on that bus and I just yeah don't tell me it's okay because it's not okay that was a it was terrible because I, I was at a book festival talking about my second book Sunny Side Up which is about positivity and I couldn't no I couldn't that night because that I, I'd seen that photograph and the person interviewing me said so Susan how do you keep cheerful and I was just like I can't I can't do it tonight I can't mm-hmm. do it tonight because that photograph was horrific, mm-hmm. was horrific to see. And, you know, it just come off the back of 
a few politicians once again talking about whether or not children should be taught that we exist. Mm -hmm. And I always say, we're not suggesting that children should watch porn. No. Not suggesting that children... I would actually suggest... They shouldn't. Yes, it's not about big callers. <laughs> it's not about suggesting this. It's about it's not. But what people constantly, I think, mistake homosexuality for sex. Mm-hmm. They always think that every gay person is constantly fucking. I, I, and all we're doing is discussing whose turn it is to take the bins down. I mean, that really is all that's happening in my house. I completely agree. And it's the person with the shortest hair. Now, here's the thing. Because <laughs> uh, that's science. Um, and yeah, most of the time we are just arguing about the bins mm-hmm. or um, whose white T-shirt it is that they're wearing. Or, you know, like it's not exactly weird. And But also... Even if we are fucking, you don't get to call us disgusting. Like, that's the thing that bothers me with love is love, because love is love, but also fucking is fucking, mm-hmm. and casual hookups are casual hookups, and people are people, and we don't have to be politely heteronormative for you to process us as worthy of dignity. There's a, it's a really interesting discussion about the heteronormative thing that's happening sometimes mm-hmm. in terms of the, the LGBTQ plus community. Mm-hmm. But the I, I, I always found it quite interesting that the embarrassment people felt when talking about even coming out was that what you're having to do at that point which straight people don't ever have to do is talk to your parents about the fact you have sex mm-hmm. and what straight, kind and who you want to have sex with straight people never have to if they don't want to ever discuss with their parents the fact that they are having sex or may have sex yep. whereas you have to sit and go I am now telling you mm-hmm. something about my life which I really don't mm-hmm. want to tell you about mm-hmm. I was lucky in that I grew up in a a family that never talked about anything. (laughs) (laughs) Which is so fortunate and definitely has nothing to do with your mental illness. Nothing at all. Congratulations. (laughs) When my dad read my my book, uh, The Cheer Up Love, which is really detailed about, you know, depression and stuff. He read your book, though. And I said, what did you think? And he went, yep, very good. Right, okay, great. So I'm glad we're still not going into any of but the But that issues. is a glowing review. Look, right? I'm fine. I don't want to talk about anything I with completely my relate to this. My, my parents came to my Soho show. They came to see my show last year, entirely about my dad and our relationship and my mental health and ex- expressing that and my sexuality to them. And they had a really nice time and think Soho Theatre is lovely. <laughs> <laughs> And to be fair, the bartender, because my dad's um, a Catholic deacon and they, he, my, my dad just loves to shake hands and kiss babies. And so the bartender make a bit, made a big fuss over him and booked them a booth for afterwards. By the way, I was a week at Soho. This never happened another night. And my dad, we get into the taxi and my dad is shaking hands with everyone in the smoking area. So he is that kind of guy who like, he would be like, great night, great hat night had by all, but we didn't talk about the show. We just said, what a wonderful place. And we all moved on. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay because that's fine it's fine it's fine I because think they came and because he read your book yes absolutely he you read know? my book and that's all fine and, and we never need to talk about it again and they never they've never seen anything I've done and they never need to see anything I've, I've done that. they've never seen me do stand up and I never want them to see them that no never wow. they only came to Strictly because it turns out OAPs can book their own train tickets <laughs> We have got to stop letting them do things. <laughs> and she said, my mum said, and we're just coming anyway, Susan. So they just came. <laughs> I thought they, they were so proud of me. Oh, they were so proud. But at the same time, I just, I, I feel so nervous around that they're there, 
watching what I'm doing. I am fairly sure my parents think it's a, like I think they're confused as to how I have a stand up career because they've seen me four times. And I'll be honest, I've been pretty bad every time because I'm so nervous in yeah. front of them. Yeah. And I, I think they must go home and go, well, I mean, it's not f- so I wouldn't have thought she's. I mean, I guess some people just like anxious women. <laughs> like what? Like yeah, because I've just been completely fine. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Um, uh, your religion when you were growing up was? Catholic. I'm going to tell you a story that I've never said out loud. I love that you're revealing so much. I know. I just Please. feel comfortable with Go you. On. And I just feel it's appropriate. You well, we're not going to talk about our pa- with our parents. <laughs> no. <so> tell me. <laughs> I once went out with a, a, a lady, this is a long time ago, uh, from Belfast. Yes. <clears throat> uh, she was of the Catholic religion. Mm-hmm. And she said to me at one point, I feel there's always three people in the bedroom, you, me and Jesus. No. <laughs> Is he looking away? I hope he's looking away. It was... It didn't last long, <laughs> the relationship. Oh, I thought you meant in the bedroom. <laughs> I was brought up... Um, I don't go to church anymore. I'm fine with people's religion. It's just not for me. I was brought up Protestant. <laughs> now you sound like a homophobe. <laughs> I'm fine with it. It's just not for me. <laughs> no, it's not I, how I was raised. I, I absolutely respect people having a religious belief. Of course. Personally speaking, I have experienced so much negativity from a lot of religion yes. that it's not so. But I was brought up Protestant. Now, the Church of Scotland are very easy ozy about things. Mm. I was never taught as part of my religion that homosexual. I mean, it wasn't, you know, you weren't encouraged. But it, it was inferred, but sure. I, but I didn't have any huge pressure. Friends of mine from different religions, however, have a very different story sometimes. How, how did it affect you when you thought you might have been, you know, one of us? So, I so I should say that I was raised in a very liberal home and my dad is very religious but um in a very socialist manner. So he thinks that religion is a function to like redistribute both hope and wealth and thinks that um it is your duty to help other people. My mother um is very much like she loves sex. She loves gay people. <laughs> if anything, too much. Um, when I came out, she was like, I mean, please, aren't we all? And I was like, no, we're not all. <laughs> what are you talking about? And um, she, so religious, yes, but out, but like not um, judgmental and very much, they don't see um, inclusion as at odds with religion. If anything, they think it's the duty of people of faith to be um, 
to be inclusive, right? Because they're very like Catholic in the sense that they um, follow Jesus's example. So they, which is what, which is, is yes, what it should. Yes, be. exactly. I concur, but not. Um, Yes, so that so I would say I always grew up in a very liberal home. Um, my education was much more religious than my home life. Um, I went to an all-girls Catholic school in a convent, and um, I thought I was gay because I was only around women. So, well, yeah. So I, I thought I was gay, and it was only when I got to university that I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't mind, yeah. but. Um, and I, I did not say anything to anyone about it because I was hyper aware that that would not be okay. Um, not only that that would be something that I would probably be told to stop saying by the teachers in my school, um, but also like I had a business teacher, a business school, like he did business studies and he would openly make homophobic jokes. And um, it was just not, it was not something that was entertained, discussed in any possible way. Um, Although I did have an incredible English teacher who was my debate coach as well, and he talked about everything and anything, and I think he might have saved me from an awful lot of mm-hmm. um, bad thoughts uh, in school. But so it was. But I was aware. I mean, I was very aware that it was not okay, and that my and I think what I found most unjust was, and what I still find difficult with religion, is that I don't believe in God, and I don't have faith but it it upsets me that so many people I know who are gay who have faith can't get married in front of their families in a churches that they care about that upsets me greatly um, I find it hard to go to church weddings I find it weird I find it hard to go to marriages weddings in places that would not let us get married I find that uncomfortable um, I think I always think it's weird when I'm invited to them in a way because I go, you know, I'm not allowed to do that, right? You don't have any objection. Last time I went to a church for someone's ruby wedding, and my wife and I were sitting, thinking, "Is this a trap?" Yeah. So when you're sitting, when I'm sitting in a church, yeah, I'm going to set on fire. Especially some churches. We went to a, a great wedding once in a, a church in Scotland, and the minister got up and started shouting, marriage is for the procreation of children. <laughs> no, he didn't. And Lee and I were just like, oh, God, this is it. This is it. Oh this my is just, God. it's like the wicker man. We're going to oh be burned to death. Yeah. And you just, you think, Whoa. and it's not that I, I really don't necessarily, I don't have a problem with people's beliefs. I'm a, I'm a spiritual woman. Mm. I think it's just looking for an excuse. Another, it seems like, in life, there's always an excuse for us not to be, um, not to be, I'm not, normal's not the correct word, not to be allowed to live our lives. Mm-hmm. Whether it's political or social or moral, that morally we're wrong, that legally we're wrong, that whatever it is. And it, it just seems like there's always an excuse for someone to do something to us. Well, people revel in righteousness, right? And you can't be right unless somebody else is wrong. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Life can be hard and it feels better somehow if by comparison you're beating somebody else or you're not like, and I think, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it makes me sad. But I would also say that my, I have been fortunate that the people who are are religious in my life um, also just don't think that I was a mistake. Yeah, I don't think they think their creator makes those. Um, which I am very fortunate to be in a position to say. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it's also, I mean, it's remarkable to me that religions are still hammering the anti-gay drum in, certainly 
in a lot of countries where gay rights are legal because I'm like, dudes, you are really losing followers. Mm-hmm. Like, think of the people you could get on board if you seemed a little progressive. My point is always this. You want me as your neighbour. You shouldn't be frightened of having two lesbians living next door to you. We no. are brilliant. Agreed. We take care of our house. We'll take your bins down for you. In fact, there's a fight for it. You want us. Yeah. I keep a notebook with... Uh, Everyone's number plates that come into the street in case there's a robbery. Oh my god, you are a psychopath. (laughs) (laughs) We're just going to find this list of people who've travelled into your area. I mean, like, the lesbian killed them. Thank you. You will all be glad I kept your registration. And do you know what? Do you know what? This is absolutely true. In the local paper recently, my area is the lowest crime area in Glasgow. And you think that's because of you? It's because of me. Because I'm Batman. Oh my god, we need a lesbian Batman. Well, don't. Okay, sorry. Don't because they can't made, believe they've, that you no, didn't. they've made Batgirl with that Ruby Rose. They have. They have. Are you okay? No. No? Did you think that should be you? Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay, and and um and why is that? Well, okay. So um it's got to be someone who okay, here's my theory about assassins as well, right? Please. Okay. So Angelina Jolie as an assassin is absolutely fucking ridiculous. Why? Yes, you're because notice her. Angelina Jolie walks in here and you go, Oh, I've just seen a beautiful woman. Yeah. Who are you not gonna notice? Me, dressed as the lady that collects the sanitary <laughs> towel bin. Right? <laughs> you're not gonna notice that woman, are you? You're not even gonna see her. Who not- when's the last time I you would noticed? look away if somebody was changing the sanitary yes. bin? When I would, I'm a bad person, time? you're right. When is the last time you went oh I've clocked her collecting that bin you're so, right so bat girl woman right should be someone you notice when Ruby Rose walks into a bloody room you do to be fair right you do me all those would pay attention she quickly changes my costume <laughs> and you do your own sound effects she, I bet you they have to pay a sound guy and Ruby Rose and I would be there low centre of gravity <laughs> means that I'm amazing at fighting and I just think it's wrong. I think it's wrong that yet again I've been overlooked. It, Listen, I felt the same way at Doctor Who, but we won't go into that right now because it gets me very angry that I, I wasn't even considered for Doctor Who. I'll be honest with you. When you brought it up, I thought, this is going to be mad. Uh, but actually, you make a good case and it's outrageous. I'd sign that petition. Thank you very much indeed. Well, <laughs> if people can... Can I just ask you a question? Mm-hmm. I know it's really bad. No, actually, that's... No, bad. tell me. No, I was going to say something objectifying. Uh-huh. Who's hotter, Ruby Rose or Angelina Jolie, in your opinion? Angelina Jolie. Interesting. Oh, we have a different type. Okay. I think, and I know she listens to this podcast, so sorry, Ruby. Mm. I think she's a bit full of herself. I kind of love that in a woman. I don't like that in a woman. I do. I don't like that. I, you know, because I want... I like a woman to be confident, don't get me wrong. Interesting. But I don't like it if... I don't like it if I think that the person I'm with will spend more time looking at themselves than me. I mean, we'd have common interest, I suppose. I My feeling is I like to break down the person I'm with. So I want them to be left still standing. You know, like I don't want them to be like a, a driveling wreck. Like my girlfriend was very cocky when I met her. And now right. she's appropriately behaved, I would say. <laughs> and I think that's like, I like that. And I mean, saying that, do you remember when Angelina Jolie used to date the Calvin Klein model? What was her name? Oh, oh that's going to annoy me so much. Oh, the the, was the one that was beautiful in, Asian. G, she was in G, G, no, she wasn't in. G, I know the one you mean. I know the oh one you mean. Oh my god! Yes. I mean that. I mean that was a great time too. But so again, I don't want to. Again, so 
the you other day, me, I can't think of her name. The other day, I took my bra off and there was biscuits in my bra. Oh my god! Because I had a biscuit. How uncomfortable was your top? I can't imagine. How did it get under your it's like well, round neck t-shirts? <laughs> I was wearing a V-neck t-shirt and I was having some short. Oh, okay, braids, it was a V-neck. Fair right? enough. I was having some short braids as I was working. Yeah. And then take your bra off at the end of the night, biscuit. I mean, I, I don't want the women I'm in bed with to go as I then eat the bits of biscuit. <laughs> I want them to go. Yeah, but that's, that's why you take adorable. your bra off in the loo. Okay, you take your bra off in the loo. <laughs> it's fine. Bra off in the you loo. eat the biscuit. You head on in there to Angelina. She, what shall she think other than that you tasted biscuits? Great time. She would. She would not be. Great she would not time. be happy with that's me. That's not a problem I have because between my girlfriend and I, neither of us really has boobs. Uh, if we squish them all together, we make one good boob. Just one big boob. If you think a good boob has four nipples, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's too much information. No, no, listen, it's absolutely fine. That'll be the trailer for this episode. <laughs> uh, uh, the, Stop sexualizing lesbians. Also, <laughs> if you could imagine my boobs and my girlfriend's boobs. <laughs> I know. Um, uh, you just talked, I wanted to talk to you about the crying thing. Yes. I really struggle. I really struggle not to cry. And my wife said to me the other day, I didn't want to talk to you about that because you'd start crying. <laughs> and I said, but I'll cry anyway. So otherwise we'll never talk. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I cry about everything, 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 yeah. everything. And my therapist said to me, do you want to stop crying? Do you want us to work on you not crying? Mm. And I think, I don't know if I do or not. It does get in the way. I mean, Sarah cries at, I mean, I, I thought I cried a lot and then I started doing, she cries at everything. And I think it's her only way of processing. Um, so I don't think I'd want her to stop doing that I cry quite a lot but not at things that I want to cry at so when something terrible happens I can't cry and when you talk to me about gay rights the history of which I've heard before Susan like mm. I am like <sighs> mm-hmm. God, lord mm-hmm. it's all so sad and so like yeah I think if it's a way you process then why would you want to stop it I think I cry when I feel deep emotion whether it's anger or fear or it's it, it's like my brain switches into so I'll, I'll cry when Andy Murray plays tennis oh of course because he's my future husband oh my god same that's he's so weird that we're going to be sister wives he's the, only, he's the only man I would ever ever yeah, yeah I mean I yeah I think marriage wise I think he's one of the few who have potential yeah I met his mother and said would you like me to be your daughter-in-law and she didn't answer the question which I thought was quite rude from Judy that's yes. a bit rude I thought it was a bit rude actually because who wouldn't want me <clears throat> I agree you can dance I can dance <laughs> and you're Scottish what more does she want I know she's so picky oh but I, I find it I find it that people think it's a sign of weakness in me that's why that's the only reason I don't like it mm-hmm. is that People then think I'm an over-emotional woman. Do you know what I mean? And that is a tag that but that's do you think, negative. But do you think that that's? Do you think women are weak when they cry? No. And do you think the concept of women as overly emotional by virtue of their capacity to feel is misogynist? No. I think people, when you feel things deeply, it's a very positive thing. I think me being empathetic is a very positive thing. Other people don't know how to deal. I was once on a virgin train to Glasgow weeping for about something for about four hours. Sure, that's what public transport is for. And just nobody, nobody looked at me at all. Were you in Britain? Yes, I was travelling. Well, then there's your problem. I mean, I've never been on a plane I haven't cried on. I, I genuinely, planes are for crying and sleeping, as far mm-hmm. as I can understand them. Um, I, I don't think that, I think, that, like, if you'd said I want to stop for this reason, I would think, sure. But if it's purely based on other people's reaction, I think that's 
I think that's predominantly a misogynist view that women are weak because they cry. And I actually think if more men cried, the world would be a healthier place. But also, I don't know, I for all the people that think, oh, I don't know how to deal with this, I think, like, watching you on Strictly, I think there were a whole bunch of people who went, oh, thank God, somebody who processes and feels the way I do. Like, mm-hmm. every time you cried, I cried. Mm-hmm. Just because you were crying. Mm-hmm. I have a, like... I have a friend, Georgie, and we pretty much, if one cries, the other cries mm-hmm. because I can't watch her cry and and she can't watch me cry. And so, I, I, I know, I think that you will have resonated with more people than you think when you did that. There was a lovely story and I asked people for acts of kindness in my last book and there's a beautiful one because I think it illustrates how people can't cope with people crying. A woman said she was she was in a cafe and she was crying and a man handed her a balloon penguin. <laughs> Because the guy's obviously been going, I don't know what to do. I'll make her a balloon penguin. Oh, and just gave her a balloon. And it worked. That's but I so love that as, as someone just unable to know what to do, so made a balloon penguin. And I think that's it. I think that's the right and if I'd been given one, I would have stopped crying, yeah. I suspect. That's really lovely. Before, but we before we finish off, because we have to finish off. We've been told we have to keep the podcast to like fifty five minutes. Personally I like a podcast that goes on beyond that. Because <laughs> yeah, it, you love a three hour podcast. Oh, I love I love a I love a, see for this one that's an hour and fifteen minutes, I go, Yes. Do you? I, if one's 25, I'm not happy. Yeah, I feel that way about podcasts I like, but I do not feel that way about podcasts friends have said they're on and that I should listen to. Really? <laughs> yeah, so it's different. it depends, doesn't it? You're like, if your mom's like, you've got to listen to this episode, and then you go, it's so long. Though. My mother phones me on a Monday to review her weekend television viewing, and it matches not a jot if I've seen the programme or not. <laughs> she talked to me at length about Murder in Paradise which I've never seen, because they changed the character. 55 minutes later, I still haven't seen it, Mother, but carry on That's talking. so great. My mum calls me when she wants me to watch something, but then tells me everything that happened, including the spoilers. And so then I go, well, now there's no point in me watching it. And she says, <gasps> every time. Like, she can't <laughs> like, believe. What, did I say something I shouldn't have? <gasps> but I just thought you'd want to know what it was about. Yeah, maybe I don't need to know everybody's full storyline, though. Absolutely. Um, but yeah. What I always like to finish with is... Um, not not uh, one of those, if you could tell yourself when you were 14, what mm-hmm. you should have done. But just what you've learned for if people are listening and thinking uh, I, that I, that resonates with me. I get that. Just advice to yourself, people. What What's your final say on all of this? Um, tell more than one person that you need help uh, or be willing to tell more than one person that you need help uh, because... Um, the first person might not believe you and you might have, or they might have just been closest to you so you told them and they're not the best person to tell. Very important to find the right person. To, this yeah. is very important. What you're essentially doing is handing someone a, a puppy and saying look after this. Yes. And some people don't want to look after a puppy, do they? Yes. And also, um, more often than not, the right person is a professional. As much as somebody loves you, usually it's better to go speak to a GP and if your GP is not responding the way you feel they need to, speak to another GP or... Um, you know, I, I think that's the one thing that for me is, aside from the fact that it's not necessarily fair to put it on one person, I think that often the first person you tell is not the best person to tell, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Um, but I think getting to a place where I could get professional help was the best thing that ever happened to me. And um, and and as much as anybody around me loved me and could tell me all I wanted, that everything would be fine if they made my bed instead of me one day, Um I wasn't living. I, I was alive, but I don't think I was living until I got um, until I got proper help. And um, I would say, 
the other thing, and I think it's the same culture that says, oh, nobody look at that woman who's crying on the train, says, oh, she's a bit dramatic, isn't she? She's a bit dramatic. I have spent so much of my life, I spent my, I think till I was 25, feeling like I was so dramatic. Catherine's the dramatic one. Mm-hmm. What an overreaction. And it's like... No, like I, I, I had a proper illness. I was, I was very deeply unhappy and unwell and it wasn't dramatic to go to hospital. It was massively necessary. Yeah. And so um, I don't know if that's the answer to your question. No, it is the answer to the question. It absolutely is the answer to the question um, because what I always say to people is I think the most important thing is go to your GP and if you don't think your GP is listening to you, find another GP to Agreed. listen to because they're not all... They're not all great at listening to people talking about mental health. They're also working under great time constraints. They're human. Find someone else. The other thing is people always ask me, oh, it's so much better now everyone's talking about mental health. And the answer is not really. Because if you're going to the NHS specifically, you have to wait a while for a counselling appointment. Mm. So this is a, it can sometimes be a battle. But I think if you take the first step to go to the GP... It's the most important and difficult thing to do is to go and admit to somebody that you need help. I agree. And it's the most important thing. And it's horrible that that might require having to do that a couple of times with a couple of people. But you can, if you've done it once, Mm. you can do it. Catherine, it's been a delight. And if people want to find out more information about what you're doing, apart from befriending you, where can they find out? Uh, Well, I have a website, catherinebellhart.com or on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. I'm all of those places. And I'm, if anything too keen with talking about my shows online. My mother says, gosh, you have an awful lot of tickets to sell. That's not what you asked. Uh, yes, <laughs> CatherineBowhart.com and I am on tour and I'll be all over the UK and Ireland if people want to come see me. I would love that. Will you tweet when your parents are going to see you again? Because I think we'd all like to go at the performance for your mum and dad. Yeah, I mean, they'll have a booth probably because the bartender still asks me, the same guy in so asks me about my parents every time because they they were a hit. And my show was fine, but they were a hit. I will, of course, tweet when they are in. And they'll be only too delighted to meet and greet afterwards, I'm, I'm sure. I'm looking forward to it. We'll all line up. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Mrs Brightside. If you like the show, why not subscribe? We're available everywhere you can download podcasts. And if you've already subscribed, why not tell a friend? Next week, I'll be talking to... Darren Harriet. I, feel, I find it weird when I see um, comics who are just like, Oh, killed it! Yeah. Like, how was the gig? Smashed it! Destroyed! <laughs> I'm always more like, yeah, they were generous. <laughs> like, they were, they, were, they were fun. They were nice. Yeah. Susan Kalman's Mrs. Brightside is hosted, appropriately enough, by me, Susan Kalman. The producer is Benjamin Sutton and is a BBC Studios production for Acast. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.